Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Let us pray. Almost gracious Heavenly Father, you have come here to be with us. You became one of us in order to redeem us from our sins, to accomplish the law that we could never accomplish, to give us your only perfect Son, O Lord, so that we may be united to him. Draw us now, O Lord, to hear this gospel, this good news, which you have delivered to us in Mark 1. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who were at Sunday school, you realize we had a discussion about the challenges of simply making it here this morning. It's been a wild ride for several of us, and for those who weren't able to make it to Sunday school, I'm sure you have a story of your own of challenges. Whether or not they're small, whether or not they're large, Something as simple as a a stop train or a railroad crossing signal going down, not allowing several people to come on time for Sunday school. Whether or not it's for me, for the past 72 hours, my wife and I have had to deal with fire alarms going off randomly, changing batteries, you know, taking them out, needing to replace them. Regardless of what it is, there's always something coming at us in life. And it's always a trial, no matter how big or how small it can be. It may not be as simple as the fire alarm going off, racking your brain, driving you crazy. It may be something far more even bigger or serious. It may be a battle with disease, with suffering, something that will never go away, something that's constantly troubling. It may be a broken relationship that's tearing at you, that's pulling at you, that's causing you to cry out. It may be something more than that. It may be the fact that you're looking forward to a day in which you finally see some results in your own Christian walk. That struggle of, Lord, I know I'm not there. I want to be there. What else can I do? I don't know what else I can do, oh Lord. Well, you've come to the right place. Because the church is a hospital for sinners. We're a recovery center for addicts. And that addiction that we have is an addiction to that separation, that error, that sin that is in our lives. And so we cried out in our morning collect, that prayer that we have for this Sunday, a prayer that's known as a collect as it collects our thoughts together. And we cried out, give us grace. Give us grace, O Lord. Grace to do what? Give us just the grace to answer Readily the call that you have placed upon us. Give us the grace to readily answer, to respond to what you have done through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us grace to do what? We also pray to proclaim to all people the good news, the gospel of his salvation. For it's not our salvation, it's not anything we could accomplish, but it is something that he has accomplished for you and for me. So that what? So that as we prayed, that we and the whole world may perceive, may hear, may understand, may receive that glory of His marvelous works. That's why we gathered here today, is for grace, and is poured out abundantly in today's gospel. We hear that we need our thoughts collected so that we can even receive. The call on our lives made readily by the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And this calls for us to join together with Jesus' own preaching, his own proclamation of the good news. That is the gospel of his salvation. A salvation not of us, not from us, but for us and completely a gift to us. A gift from outside of us, from that ever gracious father above who sends his son to die for us. And we receive this good news, not for us to deposit into an account, but no, we receive it in order to eternally echo it throughout our lives. Sometimes echoing it to ourselves, echoing it to our friends, to our neighbors, to our families, and to the whole world. And that echo is to repent, to turn, and to follow after our master, that carpenter from Galilee, who is rebuilding and remaking this world, one nail at a time, in his hands and in his feet. In other words, we, O oh sinners, we were caught by Christ in his wide open net, and we were caught so that we would go forth and cast out not even our nets, but cast out his net, cast out his good news to go and catch others. And so let us turn to today's gospel reading. We have here in Mark chapter 1, what we're picking up from a couple of weeks ago. We had a pause as we heard John's gospel last week, but we pick up now where Paul, excuse me, where St. Mark says the word now, this immediacy. You're going to see it all throughout the gospel of Mark as we're diving into it this year. This immediacy in verse 14 of chapter 1, that God has given us light exactly where we are. We didn't have to pursue the light. The light simply came to us and turned on. And like light in a dark room, he just enlightens our darkness and he fills up the void of our hearts and of this world. He fills up the light of this darkness just as God the Word, God the Son, enacted the command of God the Father at the creation of the cosmos when he said, let there be light, and it was so. So Mark says, without any hesitation, now. Now, because what we just would have heard, if you're reading through the gospel, we haven't heard it in our Sunday lectionary, but the now is immediately after Jesus has overcome Satan's temptations in the wilderness, reversing where Adam fell into temptation, where Jesus has exodused from the wilderness of Satan's temptations, like Joshua, leading God's people from the wilderness over the same Jordan River where Jesus was just baptized and back into the promised land, Jesus begins his ministry. And we hear that John was arrested, John the Baptist, that is. The time of the Old Testament, John the greatest, the Old Testament prophets, that time is now ended. And now, with John the Baptist arrested, God himself, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God, enters into his ministry. And he begins doing what? Mark tells us, proclaiming. Proclaiming. That is preaching. The gospel of who? Whose good news? The gospel of God. And that is why Jesus says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. It's a prefiguring of it is finished. The time is fulfilled. For not only has John the Baptist completed his ministry, not only have what all of the prophets, what all of what Moses and the Torah have pointed to has arrived, but Jesus has also fulfilled the good news that was being heralded from long ago. For he is the living good news. And that word gospel 
which means good news, but also it means an announcement. Something has been done. Something has been accomplished. We translate it as good news, as gospel commonly, because information that was once unknown has now been received and made known. It's not news unless it's new. We talk about old news, a little bit of an oxymoron. It's no longer news, it's old information. And what Jesus is telling us is news, and it's good. It is good, and it's typically tied. That word for evangelion, for evangelical, we get that term from, for pronouncement, for gospel, it's typically tied to not just any announcement, but to a royal announcement. That a king is victorious in battle. Or that some other good news has occurred. And so since it is news that Jesus is delivering to us weary sinners, it's being revealed to us, the hearer. We're receiving it. We don't know what the news is. It's being told to us. Just as when you turn on the news at night or you read a newspaper, you're learning it. You're receiving it. The hearer does not know what the gospel is until the announcement has been spoken over them. So notice what I'm emphasizing here is that there's nothing to be done. The gospel is the announcement of what has been done. And that announcement, that gospel itself, is being manifested. It's being epiphanied to us, the hearer. And that's what Jesus is doing, starting his ministry here in Mark 1, 14 and 15. As he proclaims that the gospel, the royal announcement, it's not Caesar's gospel. It's not his royal announcement. It's not even the announcement of that puppet king, King Herod. But it's a royal announcement of the true king. It is the gospel of God, as Mark puts in his verse 15. A gospel that is from God, being announced by God himself, Jesus the Christ. But just, what is this good news, after all? What is it that Jesus is preaching? The time the prophets are fulfilled by the royal announcement, by the gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand, as Mark tells us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or we could also translate that the kingdom of God is near. What is this kingdom? That word that we get this kingdom from, from the Greek, it means the sovereign rule. The active and actual reign of a king. Not a coming reign, but the actual right now reign of the king. In other words, the reign, the gospel being preached, the reign of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is telling us, that gospel, which we also got the word glad tidings from just a few weeks ago at Christmas, that glad tidings that was once a royal announcement from the angels to the shepherds, that the Christ child has been born this day in Bethlehem in the city of David. Now that gospel has gone from the Christ child, God himself, Emmanuel, is with us, is now as Christ, Emmanuel, is telling us is that the reign of the sovereign God is at hand. It's here. Can you imagine the shock of Jesus' listeners? They live in Galilee. They're in the far north of Israel. What once was the rebellious northern kingdom. It's on the border of Gentile territory. And yet God, in his wonderfully humorous plan, he doesn't begin announcing the arrival of the Messiah King in the capital, in Jerusalem, in Judea, as at least I would imagine he does it. No, no, no. Instead, God the Son goes to the remnants of that rebellious northern Israel that was exiled, exodus, has been lost as the lost tribes of Israel. And to the Jewish people who are living there, he announces God's reign is here and at hand. 
It's near you. How close is it near you? It's right in front of your face. For the one making this royal announcement, this gospel, the herald himself is not an angelic messenger. It's God himself. Jesus, God the Son, heir to the throne of David, whose kingdom shall have no end, who pronounces that the rule of Almighty God is here before our eyes and before our ears, even now, today, O church. What evidence do we have that, that God is reclaiming enemy territory? How is God retaking his own creation where rebels mock and defy him even to this day? Where do we see that God is rejecting Satan's wrongful claim over this world? Right before Mark started this reading with the word now, remember that Jesus was anointed by the very power of the Holy Spirit. He went down into his baptism and he rose up when the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Anointed like the kings of old, except not with oil from a human hands, not with the laying on of hands by any man, even a prophet of God, but by God the Holy Spirit himself. And immediately, what does it say? We didn't get to read this today, but it says immediately after he was anointed by the Spirit, God the Son goes forth, being led by God the Holy Spirit, to battle and war with Satan, like David before him, who went into battle as a young man to go against Satan's servant, Goliath. Jesus overcomes and conquers Satan by withstanding the temptations that we fall into, withstanding the temptations to power that Satan doesn't even have. Withstanding the attacks from Satan and the demons, only the ones that are even recorded. And Mark just goes right through it. He doesn't go through the detail of some of the temptations. And Jesus overcomes and conquers with fasting and with prayer. And this victory that Jesus has achieved, he's done it on behalf of us sinners. He did it on behalf of Adam and Eve who in the garden yielded to Satan's temptations. And to all of us who are fallen creatures, he did it for us. He is the perfect one who has not fallen. We all have fallen short. And so Mark continues that immediately, there it is again, after conquering this great rebel, Satan himself, after conquering the great foe, he continues on and Jesus announces the royal pronouncement, the good news. God's rule is here. I've conquered Satan in the wilderness. Your foe is weak and I have destroyed him. So what then shall we do? Jesus tells us in today's gospel, repent and believe in the gospel. It is that simple. It is that simple, weary sinner. As much as I would like to complicate it, it is that simple. Repent. Change your mind. And believe or trust in the good news that God reigns. All of God's great plan. All of his promises from Adam in the garden to send a redeemer who would crush the snake and who would be bit by the serpent. All the promises to Noah after he exited Exodus, that ark, that he would never judge the earth by the floodwaters again. All the promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that he would be blessing this earth with their descendants. Everything, all the promises, is of God, is from God, and accomplished by God. And we're merely called to change our minds. And even changing our minds is something that God is gifting to us. Do you have a weak faith? 
it's enough. Christ has more than enough faith and faithfulness to make you strong. Do you doubt while yet you still believe? You're in the same company as the Father who admitted he believes, but I need help in my unbelief. And yet that faith of belief while having unbelief and admitting I need help was enough for Christ to go and save his child from death. Just as in our everyday lives, we encounter a new problem. We're talking with someone and someone changes our minds, which if we're honest is rare. But when it happens, how does it go? When we change our minds, we often don't admit it, number one. But the way it actually works when we change our way of thinking, they're right about this and I'm wrong about this. I'm thinking about it the wrong way. We often realize that it's not because I've got enough information it's because all of a sudden something clicks, something epiphanies, something manifests, and we change our mind with the new information, the new news being presented to us. It doesn't work the old way. We must go after the new way. And Jesus is calling us now to change our minds because we've heard, we've received this good news, gospel. And what do we do with this news? It's not a new self-help plan. It's simply trust that God's reign is here. The proof of God's reign is Christ in the flesh. Emmanuel preaching to these and to we weary sinners. The proof of God's reign continues here in this church as we gather here today as his body, in his presence, to receive his grace through the preaching of this very same gospel, and as we're about to do through the receiving of God himself in the sacraments. The proof of God's reign continues because we are called to be faithful heralds, messengers, echoing the same gospel announcement of Jesus to fellow sinners outside of the church who do not know the news, the good news. As we witness that we changed our minds because of what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives, we have turned from rebellion against God to turning towards trusting in God's good news. News that He is fulfilling and that He has fulfilled all promises to His people because He has lived for us, He has died for us, and He has risen again. And I sense some of you may have come back here today wondering, why did I come to church today? Maybe you're wrestling with many doubts, many trials and great discomforts, far greater than what we talked about this morning, are attacking you. They're constantly warring against you. And they're causing Satan's lies to be fed into our crooked hearts of doubts, give in, give up. And they can sometimes be too much to bear, can't they? Actually, they are too much to bear. And it's exactly why Jesus came to bear our rebellious, our doubtful, our idle, and idol-making hearts there on that cross. Because we can't bear it, but He can. Do you trust that He has? What God promised of old, He accomplished on that cross. 
He destroys sin and Satan's lies on the wood beams of our salvation. He frees us from an eternity of death and defeat. And he gifts us with the wonders of eternal life, which we can never wrap our minds around. Not truly. Jesus Christ is casting his net even now. He's casting it far and wide to catch you and to catch me and to catch others from our lifelong slavery. To them being reworked into beautiful yet cracked vessels full of his grace and mercy. And as he promised David in Psalm 23, our broken, cracked, redeemed vessels, they shall and they do runneth over. And they runneth over for good measure. They runneth over so much that we're called to keep pouring out the success of grace that God is giving to us every day and to every living man, woman, and child that we encounter. And why? Because as John's gospel tells us, the kingdom of God is within you and among you. Because he poured out his Holy Spirit into us in faith. So fellow broken vessels, fellow sinners, God has picked up our lifeless and our dead limbs. And instead of casting us to the fire, he grafted us into the very tree of life, into the very cross itself. And he's taking us dead and worthless branches. And instead of using us as only good for the fire, he is instead filling us up with life again, with his very own life, the life of his son who poured it out for us and the life of his Holy Spirit, whom he promised to Ezekiel, whom he promises to us, will lift up our dead bones so that they may live again. And not merely to live in life after death, after the great resurrection, no, to live now in that new life, to take up our own cross now so that we may love others as Christ has loved us and love them as well. And we see this demonstrated in our Lord when he walks along the seaside of Lake Galilee. And Jesus has a divine appointment that he's going to make. He knows whom he is looking for. He's the same God who knew Simon and knew Andrew before they even knitted in their mother's womb. He knew he was going to meet Simon and rename him Peter after his confession, which we celebrated earlier this week. And these two unsuspecting fishermen, they're doing their work. They're like us, ignorant, just moving along, going about our days, living lives, life uninterrupted. Until God interrupts, disrupts, redeems, and gives us a new purpose. The purpose that he created us for. We know there's a great lacking within us when we're honest in the depths of night. A hole that needs to be filled. And as Augustine tells us, it can only be filled by God himself. There is a hole in those two fishermen as they cast their nets yet again into the sea. And they're suddenly interrupted by God. Jesus manifested, he epiphany to them himself by breaking the silence of their labor, casting and pulling, casting and pulling, saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a command. It's not a request. He doesn't even give an option. Would you like to follow me? Have you heard about what God is going to do with his Messiah? It's follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God himself has beckoned them to come. And unlike the rabbis of old and the rabbis of Jesus' own time, where a disciple chooses, I want to follow after that rabbi. I'm choosing my teacher. I'm going to learn from him. The great teacher, the great lawgiver, the king of kings, the herald of peace, the suffering servant the one who holds the fulfillment of the kingdom coming tells them, 
follow me. Jesus has not come to impart some secret, sacred wisdom on how to live a better life or how to live your best life now. No, Jesus, God the Son, promises them what he is doing to them he will accomplish. I will make you just as he made the heavens and he made the earth. Just as he made Simon and Peter, I will make you fishers of men. And if you've spent any time in the church, you know the story, especially of Simon Peter. You know the story of all the disciples, the followers of Christ. They aren't instantly transformed like that, but they are called and they do heed the call. For Jesus has caught Simon and caught Andrew, just as he caught us. And by the call of Christ, they drop everything and they follow after him. The two young men, Mark tells us, immediately, there it is again, that immediately, that now, left their nets and followed him. We can hardly believe it if we're honest with ourselves reading this. Did they really, didn't they, they tally around a little bit? The word tells us they immediately heard the call of God, dropped their nets and followed after him. The outrageous call of God to stop what they are doing and to follow him immediately was trusted, believed, was faithed by both Peter and Andrew. The two brothers, they drop their physical nets made for catching fish, and they pick up the spiritual nets of catching men. But Jesus is not done, for when he walks a little farther along the seaside, he's now accompanied by Simon and Andrew, until Jesus makes his next divine appointment with James and John the sons of Zebedee, who will become known as the sons of thunder, a beloved nickname our Lord gives to them. The two men are working for their father Zebedee in the family business, which is likely quite profitable because we learn from the text they have hired hands, hired servants to help them. And yet when Jesus encounters the brothers, James and John, they're sitting there repairing their broken nets meant for fish. Jesus immediately calls them, Mark tells us, and the two brothers leave their father, leave their home, leave the hired servants, leave their profitable, leave their guaranteed family career, and they follow him. John and James fulfill the call that Jesus tells us in Luke fourteen twenty six for all of us. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Yet these young men will each take up their own cross to be Christ's disciple. They will learn this lesson and live this lesson in their own lives and future ministries, save for John, who will not be martyred but will suffer a martyrdom of sorts in exile at the end of his life. They will each bear their own cross. They will each die suffering persecution for Jesus and his gospel, his royal announcement that God's reign is here. Yet these men are not superhuman. They're not any different from me or from you. They're fellow sinners. And they are called, like us, by our Savior. They will each fall away from our Lord. They will desert Him at His most trying trial and tribulation. Yet the same Jesus loved them, loves us, and loves this old world He made. That He loved it so much that He dies 
for even our sin of denying him. And he is calling and preaching the same thing in our ears this morning. When we fall and when we fell, he calls to us and beckons to us once again, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. What is holding you back? Are you still looking to the waters to catch your fill of fish? There's a greater calling. Are you still worrying over the broken nets in your life? Whether it be a broken health, empty accounts, broken hearts, broken relationships. God is giving you an unbreakable net to be filled. He's giving you a new heart that cannot be broken. He's giving you a relationship with the divine so that you may relate to your neighbor. He's calling you and he's calling me to be fishers of men. He's gifted us with good news amidst this dark reign of terror in a satanic world that God's Son has burst forth and is filling you and I with repentance, filling you and I with faith, and filling you and I with hope that He reigns and ever shall reign. For the King has pardoned you. Therefore, turn your eyes up to Jesus upon that cross. See Him high and lifted up, calling us there and calling out to the Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus will take these four fishermen and his other disciples, and he will make them not into merely disciples, but also make them into four bold apostles. And when he completes the number of the twelve, twelve apostles for the twelve tribes of Israel, to go out and to conquer the world, then we have inherited the same apostolic ministry, for we confess that we reside within the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And if he can do this with these four illiterate fishermen, with all twelve of his odd, motley crew of disciples who he turns into apostles, if he can do that with them, then I know he could do anything with you or with me. Because three of these men, three of these men, Peter, James, and John, Jesus pours into especially. They become his inner circle of disciples, whom Jesus shows and demonstrates his power and his ministry. And they will lead the church, his body, for he is calling them to this role. And Andrew, he's not left out. Andrew, the first called, who first told Simon Peter of Jesus, who was faithfully following John the Baptist, looking for the Christ. Andrew, he will suffer mildly on a cross for seven days, preaching the gospel each day until his spirit yields, and thus demonstrating he was truly aptly named Andrew, which means strong in the Greek. Today's gospel is the beginning of God's reign taking dominion over the earth. And the wonderful wisdom of God has seen it fit to equip us sinners to be his messengers. Just as Adam and Eve and Noah and his family were told of old to go forth, multiply, and fill the earth and take dominion over it for God, so too now does God the Son tell us as he told his disciples, as he commissioned his apostles to go into all nations preaching this gospel, making disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God has placed a calling on you to serve Him. He's placed a vision upon how you can serve and what your ministry is. He saved you for a great purpose. From the ordinary things of life to great visions he's placed in your heart, he has saved you so that you may be a servant in his kingdom. 
So trust in him and trust that he has given you ample grace through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you by faith to heed this calling. For Jesus caught you in his nets so that you may catch others in his net of grace, peace, and reconciliation with God the Father. For the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has great, unmatchable, powerful love for even sinful humanity. This church is his church. This body is his body. We proclaim to follow the good shepherd. So then let us go forth from here, sharing the great news that the shepherd has come to his people and is gathering us lost sheep into his promised pasture. So I say to you now, I urge to you now, cast your nets, O church, cast them far and wide. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast for this week. We're expanding our ministries at Church of the Good Shepherd and expanding our space as well in order to better accommodate our growing church family and also to minister to our children. If you feel led to give, please feel free to text the word SHARE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Or additionally, visit us at www.goodshepherdacna.com and go over to the menu item listed Donate to donate online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.